we're trying to help people and organizations do less good work and more great work. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. Uh, it is Roger Nairn. Connor is still away on vacation. He's taken a much needed vacation, so I'm sitting solo in the cockpit for this week's Man Talks Podcast. And this week's guest is Michael Bungay-Stenye. Michael is a leading coaching expert, renowned keynote speaker, and the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons, a company that helps managers and leaders coach in 10 minutes or less. When he's not leading workshops that help time crunch managers coach in 10 minutes or less, Michael shares his thought leadership and his playful sense of humor with others through his many writings and publications. His published books include Do More Great Work, which has sold nearly 100,000 copies, and End Malaria, a collection of essays from leading thinkers around the globe raising funds for Malaria No More and hitting number two on Amazon.com. He's also been featured or published in Fast Company, The Financial Times, The Globe and Mail, and has appeared on CTV's Breakfast Television. Before Box of Crayons, Michael spent time inventing products and services as part of an innovative agency and worked as a management consultant specializing in large-scale change, writing the global vision for GlaxoSmithKline, among other things. Oh, and he's a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford University. No big deal. Michael, welcome to the Mad Talks podcast. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Mad Talks podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm pretty excited to be here. So thanks, Roger. I'm really, this is going to be a good conversation. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, like we always do, I want to ask the question, if you can share for us a defining moment for you as a man. Do you, uh, um, <laughs> when you ask that question, you get that kind of awkward silence. I do. We do. As yeah. I go, oh man, why don't you, why don't you throw me an easy one? Exactly. I know. Don't worry. You know, I, I'm, I'm I've been thinking about that, and because uh, you know, the truth is, you do you do give us a bit of warning before you you ask the question. Um, and there's been a number of times where I have felt powerless, um, and they kind of range from in in the in the drama around it. You know, there was a there was a time at my high school where, um, and I went to a private school in Australia, and I just. Uh, saw the cadet force, so like, you know, kids kind of playing army and stuff, um, beating up these two guys who were part of my year, part of my my group, and just seeing that the teacher involved in that did did nothing to stop that and didn't act on that injustice in any way. And I can remember the that sense of powerlessness and that um sense of anger and frustration and kind of how that one of the things that kind of spoke to perhaps in me was um, a, a suspicion of the rules of the system and this is a paradox to me roger because you know in one way i'm pretty good at playing the rules of the system you know i was a road scholar so i got a law degree i you know i've won prizes i've written books i run a successful training company that that sells training companies to organizations so in some ways that i'm i'm playing with the system and 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 working with the system but there's also part of me that's kind of suspicious about that and worried about that and if anything trying to help people you know, <laughs> become small rebels against the system. So, you know, there, there've been other moments where I've had that, that, that feeling of, of outrage and injustice and frustration about the system. I was, I was, 
sued by one of my law lecturers for defamation because myself and a group of people complained about a way he taught a program. Um, uh, I was banned from my high school graduation because to celebrate our last year in high school, we did this small harmless prank and the system massively overreacted against it. And all these are, you know, these are little things that, that, um, you know, they've come and they've gone, but they've, they, it's interesting asking that question makes me reflect on that's where I kind of, that's what I remember as kind of peak moments, those moments where I felt that injustice. And I, and I think, uh, thank you for sharing, sharing that with us. That's incredible. And and I think, you know, one of the things I'm hearing is that um, you developed your leadership skills at a very early age by recognizing that, you know, we're, you were not just cogs in the wheel. We don't have to play along with, uh, with these injustices. We, we do have a voice and and a role in, um, you know, creating change and, 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 um, you know, turning things around for the better. Um, would you say that's a fair characterization? Uh, you know, I, I think it probably overly flatters me to be honest. <laughs> um, I think there's some part of me that's just wired to kind of zig against the system, kind of figure out how to play the system and then how to hack the system. Cause I've kind of been doing it all my life, you know, even, yeah, I can see that showing up as a pattern all my life. But one of the things that you spoke to there I know is important to me. And um, it it was crystallized in hearing one of the writers who I love talk about it. The guy who I'm referring to is a guy called Peter Block. And Peter Block, uh, he's written a couple of books. One's called The Flawless Consultant. One is called The Answer to How is Yes. It's mostly about uh, trying to flourish within an organization. But he once said that he saw the work that he did as giving people responsibility for their own freedom. And that is a very powerful phrase for me because one of the things that it speaks to, just as you pointed at it, is to say, look, wherever you are in your life, you do have choices. I mean, this goes right back to, you know, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Whatever your circumstances, you have the choice on how you respond to that circumstance. On uh, There are always options. There are always choices. And um, how do you have the courage to take responsibility for your choices and to make the boldest choice? Very cool. So let's bring it to the present day. Um, let's build a little bit of context uh, for listeners out there. I'm wondering if you can give everyone a little idea of, of what it is that you're up to these days. Sure. So I run a training company, the training company called Box of Crayons. And we've got a, on what we teach, we've got a really narrow focus. It's helping busy managers and leaders and people. We give them the practical skills so they can coach in 10 minutes or less. And we're not, we're not really trying to train people to be coaches. We are trying to train people to be more coach-like, which really just boils down to how do you stay a bit more curious a bit longer and rush to advice giving and solutions and answers a little more slowly. But there's a bigger game that we're trying to play, and, and here's how we phrase it. We're trying to help people and organizations do less good work and more great work. So if, if good work is kind of like your job description, you know, whether or not you have a job description, let's say it's your job description, you know, big company, small company, entrepreneur, uh, stay-at-home parent, uh, you, you have a job description. But gr- great work is the work that has more meaning, so it matters more to you, that kind of speaks to your values. And it's also the work that has more impact, you know, it makes more of a difference. And how do you get to do more of that work and less of all the other stuff? 
you know, and we've decided one of the key ways to do that is through these practical coaching skills and through things like the new book, which you're helping me talk about called The mm. Coaching Habit. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're trying to play that bigger game, let, helping people do less good work and more great work. Let's And let's touch on that book, The the, the Coaching Habit, which is tearing up the charts on Amazon right now. Uh, congratulations. That's absolutely it's incredible. Really exciting. Thank you. So I'm wondering if you yeah. can uh, tell us a, a little bit about where the idea of the book came from. Yeah. Well, you know, I had the uh, the idea for the book probably about four or five years ago. And this is actually my fifth book. So one of the things that I had a kind of swagger about is, hey, I know how to write a book. <laughs> I've, I've done it a few times now. Um, I kind of, once I see the arc of the shape of the book, you know, I sit down and I write it. It's not, it's hard work. It's miserable at times. I mean, honestly, writing a book is a miserable experience for most of the people most of the time. Right. But I kind of thought I knew how to do it. This book, it almost killed me. <laughs> now, honestly, I... I wrote three or four really kind of bad versions of this book before I finally wrote the version that came out and is a really good version. Um, and, you know, I kind of got tangled up. The first version just wasn't very good. And then I was relying on my manager, um, sorry, my editor at the publishing house I was, I was with previously to give me guidance and they didn't like it, but they couldn't tell me what they did like. And so I ended up trying to write the book. I thought that they might like if they published books like I thought they published which just tended to just, I just was just this <laughs> detour into the dark wet woods of confusion and self-doubt. But, you know, I, I, I figured a way out of that. Um, and uh, because this is uh, connected to what we do as a business, uh, you know, one of, one of the things about, one of the, I mean, if anybody's listening in and is going, well, maybe I should write a book, um, I would say fantastic. And do you know why you're writing a book? Right. <laughs> because if you're writing a book of fiction, it's because you've got a story to tell, and that's great. Um, know that it's almost certain that nobody will ever read your book. If you're writing a business book, um, know that almost nobody will ever read your book. Um, and you will get paid much more by getting a part-time job at Starbucks or the equivalent <laughs> than what you will earn from the book. It's not going to be the thing that makes your fortune. Right. But for us, it fits into the ecosystem of what we're doing as a, as a business. You know, it becomes one of the tools we teach, but it also becomes one of the tools we use to market the programs that we teach. So it's kind of tied into that. So that's, even though I wanted to give up on this book about 93 times, you know, and that's just one week. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. Um, that's what kind of kept me going. That and the fact that I just went, I, I feel like I've got something to, important to say here. Um, how do I get it out there in the world? Awesome. So, so in the book, you reveal how to unlock people's potential by unpacking these seven essential coaching questions to demonstrate how, by saying less and asking more, you can right. develop coaching methods that produce great results. So I'm curious... Why seven uh, uh, coaching questions and, and where do these seven questions come from? Yeah. Well, you know, seven is just one of those cool magical numbers that <laughs> people like. So that, that's part of it. But honestly, part of the thinking about the book was what's the shortest book I can write that's going to be the right. most and, useful? And, it, and it's not a very long book, is it? No. And, you know, I like to think of it as lean. You know, there's just no excess fat on it at all. And honestly, I find most business books are bloated. Yeah. You know, they've taken one small idea and then, or, or self-help books, for that matter. Totally. One small idea and kind of scraped it thinly over 220 pages. Right. So, you know, Roger, I played around with questions. I, I, I was seeing if I could get it down to five. I went up to nine at one stage. But it really comes from 20 years of asking questions, watching masterful people, coaches, and people who are great at being coach-like, 
and then trying to figure out, look, if if you could, if we're trying to have the fewest number of questions, what are the ones that cover the most bases that have the most impact that I've tried and tested and practiced so I know that they work all the time? And that's what we've got. I reckon seven good questions. If you can just start building some of those into your everyday routine, that's what the habit part is about, then you're going to increase the impact you have. Whether you're a manager or a leader or individual contributor or just, you know, a person who interacts with other people, that kind of curiosity is the, at the heart of what this book is about. Right. And and before we dig into some of these questions, I think it'd, it'd be good to, to get an idea of what your definition of, of coaching is. Yeah. Well, honestly, there are a bazillion definitions of what coaching are. I think anybody who's selling coaching probably has their own slightly different definition of what we're talking about. But let me uh, I mean, I, I think I can describe the impact of coaching. It, it goes something like this. Good coaching, which is like a good question, starts off by generating new insight. So insight about yourself and insight about the situation at hand or one of those two things. Uh, insight leads to action. In other words, you change your behavior. You do something differently. And change of behavior leads to uh, increased impact. And in a perfect world, that becomes a, a virtuous circle. So increased impact generates new insight about yourself and about the situation. But fundamentally, the, there's a single behavior change we're after here, and it is slow down the rush to advice giving and action taken and stay curious just a little bit longer. <laughs> it, it sounds easy. It's it's hard. It's so hard. And, and I struggle with this all the time too. And, and I can't help but think that more, uh, you know, um, and maybe this isn't a generational thing, but people my age feel like and when I say my age, I'm, I'm in my 30s. I'm sort of what you would consider to be a, you know, sort of young professional. Um, people in my in my generation seem to want to talk, 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 and just and just barf out as much as possible at the at the boardroom table because they feel like that's their way of um, staking claim in a meeting or or actually having presence in a meeting. But but the but the reality is that is that the opposite is true. Well, the first thing I'd say is. I don't think it's something limited to young professionals. I think it's something limited to human beings. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're honestly trained from a very early age that the way we show that we're good and that we're valuable and how we add value is by having the answer. So we've, we've got a lot of training going into us that drives the, the need to rush to advice giving and, and providing the solution. And, and honestly, it, it happens at a neurological level as well. So, when you're giving somebody advice, even though, and I'll be blunt here, even though most people's advice is pretty terrible, or at least it's not very good, um, and even though even if it's really good advice, most people don't listen to it, when you're giving advice, you still feel pretty good about things. I mean, you're the smart person, you're in control, you're clearly adding value, you have high status in the conversation, you, you know where this conversation is going, so it's not too scary. But when you ask a question, even though that's often the most powerful act you can take, it's a it's a harder place to stand or sit because it's a, a lot more ambiguity about what's going on. Right. As soon as you ask the question, firstly, you've, you've now given power to the other person to answer it. So you're empowering them, you know, which is good for them. It's less good for you because you're giving up power. And there's that ambiguity of going, well, was that a good question? Was it the right question? Uh, now what are they going to say? What if they come back with some crazy-ass answer that I don't know how to handle? Right. Where's this conversation now going? It's a lot less it's the, it's the proverbial can of worms. 
Yeah, it's a potential can of worms. And it's also what servant leadership looks like and feels like because you're willing to serve the other person's greatness, help them step into a greater place of you know insight, impact, uh, action, um, and you're willing to do that. Now, the truth is it serves you as well. You know, even though it feels uncomfortable in the moment, it serves you in the longer game that you're playing to give people more autonomy, more self-sufficiency, more uh, potential, more wisdom. Uh, that all allows them to do their stuff and you just stay focused on your great work, the work that has more impact, the work that has more meaning. But in that moment, it doesn't feel so comfortable. Hmm. So I can I, I can imagine there's you know there's some people out there that are thinking to themselves this is very much a, a business focused uh, habit, um, but the reality is that this this can be for for literally anybody. I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack that a little bit and maybe put it into context of someone outside of a business setting. Yeah, because because I I wrote this book going look if I had to pick just one type of person to read this it would be the busy manager so somebody who likes their work likes showing up hope, hopes to do well is is pretty engaged wants to do a good job helping their team do great work but is feeling a bit kind of overwhelmed by it or has a team that's slightly over dependent on them has kind of lost the connection towards the work that matters the kind of the why of the work that they do. But it is, you know, my, I have roots in the world of self-development and self-help, um, you know, everything from being a certified coach and doing that training. Uh, you and I were talking before we started the recording that I did, uh, I was part of the Mankind Project for uh, quite a number of years. So that kind of self-reflection piece. Awesome. And I'd love to come back to, uh, come back to that and, and learn more about that. Yeah. Um, so th- this is just a place where you go by being more curious you help the people that you are in conversation with have access to more of their own wisdom and to increase their own potential. So you can imagine that if you're a parent, that's useful. If you're a teacher, that's useful. If you're a human being with a friend, that's useful. Um, We offer advice with best intentions. And certainly there's a time and a place for giving people the answer and giving them advice. But it's just not as much as people think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm just trying to shift that a little bit. So a little more curiosity. Uh, a little, I mean, even in you know, even in MKP work, for instance, you know, we sit in circle. We're doing that hard work. We're all committed to each other as other men sitting around, kind of figure out, well, how the hell do we be a man in today's confusing society? Um, and there's still that tendency that, with our best of intentions and a safe place, where everyone's got a lot of good answers. Um, and it's one of the reasons why some of the structures within MKP are about driving questions rather than just having a whole bunch of people making suggestions on what you should do differently. Right. And, and this Mankind Project that you're a part of, can, can you can you um, explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So uh, it is a global uh, movement and uh, and community, I would call it. Um, it starts off with um, kind of a, a three-day, fairly intensive training where there's, it's kind of space for men to face up to some of the challenges that we're up against. And really, the the and I, and I hope to do the service. I, ha- I haven't done this for a few years, so I'm probably going to get this slightly wrong, but I'll try and be articulate about it. No worries. I, I, I think the starting point is to say, look, it is it is confusing to be a man. <laughs> yes, in the 21st century, we would definitely agree with that. 
yeah, you know, on the one hand, we carry a whole bunch of baggage about how we're meant to show up, the hunter-gatherer, the leader of the tribe, the strong, the noble, the, you know, staring out of the middle distance as a visionary. Um, on the other hand, that's not a role that's always that useful <laughs> in lots of different contexts. But we've had a bunch of structures and stereotypes imposed around how we should be and how we should feel that make it just a bit confusing as to how to show up. I mean, I just read something recently that said in early childhood, boys are actually much more emotionally expressive than girls are. But it kind of gets, you know, eked out of us somehow, you know, it's shut down from us. So Mankind Project is a safe space meant to get together, to support each other, to kind of figure out what the hell's going on and to help them kind of work through some of their, you know, the, their wounds, if you like, figure out how to kind of look at that and heal that potentially. And, and, it, and it does that by the, by helping men discover and live their personal missions, which I think is is yeah. so incredible. It gives them a, a, a real a real purpose yeah. uh, in life, which is which is incredible. Love that. Yeah, I think it is. And at its best, what it does is not just help people look at their wounds because it. One of the reasons I don't do it anymore is it became a little bit too focused on here's how I'm broken, um, whereas part of my wiring and part of my belief from reading stuff around change and growth is it can be more powerful or certainly as powerful to focus on where are your strengths and how do we amplify those? How do we shine, How do we find the gold and look at that rather than spend the whole time wandering around in the dark berating ourselves for how we're, how we're broken and damaged? Awesome. Well, let's let's focus on your strengths, and this, okay. that that is the worst segue I've ever given on this show. <laughs> that was, um, but, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> but let's focus on these. I want to I want to hear more about these seven essential coaching questions. And and for listeners out there, um, you know, there's absolutely so much incredible value in this book. And so, you know, you can learn more about these questions by picking up the book. But I'm hoping, Michael, if you can walk us through just a few of them. Um, so let's start off with maybe the the kickstart question. Um, yeah, what, are, you know, what is that kickstart question? Great. So there are, as you just said, there are seven essential questions in the book. Um, and question number one and question number seven, we call the bookend questions for reasons that you can guess just from their positioning. But actually, they're, they're actually ways to start a conversation more effectively and more quickly and to finish it more powerfully. So people are getting a kind of a two for one on this one, Roger. So the kickstart question is simply what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And here's why of all the questions we could have had there, I've chosen that one. It is a really powerful way to get into a conversation that matters. Now, as a person asking the questions, you don't, as you may often do, kind of set the agenda or start it, which is the first thing that you can think of. You're actually giving the other person the autonomy to make the choice as to where, what to talk about. But you're not saying, just, hey, talk to me. <laughs> you're saying, hey, you know what? You've got a bunch of stuff going on. Talk to me about the thing that is most important to you, most, you know, the thing that's getting you excited or worrying you or overwhelming you or keeping you up at night. Let's go there. So when you go, so what's on your mind? There's a much shorter route from that start of that conversation into a juicy conversation that matters. And, and I think that's the effectiveness of the, the kickstart question. And, and is this question asked um, 
sort of at random, you know, if you want to start a conversation with uh, somebody that you're, that you're, you're hoping to, um, you know, to, to impact, or is this um, it done in a setting where it's understood that there are going to be questions asked sort of in that managerial uh, yeah. scenario, scenario? Yeah. All of the above, I would say, you know, somebody, somebody, uh, you're sitting down to lunch with somebody and after the chit chat, you go, Hey, so of all the stuff going on for you, what's on your mind right now? You know, you come to your regular one-to-one. Hey, Roger, it's our weekly one-to-one. You know, rather than going through the usual agenda where you just tell me stuff, which is a bit boring for you and a bit boring for me, uh, let me ask you, you know, what's on your mind right now? Uh, you know, your team meeting by Skype, you know, you check in, uh, you go, look, rather than jumping right into the action list, I just want to go around the, the table and ask everybody of all the stuff that you're thinking about, what's on your mind right now? Give me your answer in a sentence or two. So it really uh, works well everywhere, I think. Or at least let me say this, the best way for people listening into this conversation is if you like the idea of this question, start using it, start testing it, start experimenting, find out what works for you, what situations is it most effective, where does it kind of work well, where does it kind of work less well. But uh, it's, it's all about going, all right, this looks interesting. Let me give it a go and see if I can build it into a habit so I know where and when to use it best. Perfect. Um, and and which, which would be the best next question to, to kind of unpack for the listeners? Well, let, let, let's go to the final question because then they get the kind of the bookend, the bookend set. Great. Uh, so the very final question is called the learning question. And one of your roles, certainly as a manager and a leader, and you know, I would offer up more broadly than that as well, is to help people learn, to be a teacher. And to do that, you have to understand how people learn. And the truth is people do not learn when you tell them your really great advice. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard truth, but it's true. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And they don't even really learn when they do something. Where people really learn is when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. So that's when and how you can use this next question. And the, the, the way I ask it is this. I go, what was most useful or most valuable for you from what we've just been talking about? I mean, I, let me ask the people listening to us right now. You know, when you think back on what Roger and I have talked about so far, what's been most useful or most valuable for you so far? And you can see in that moment where people, you pull them out of the, the just listening and now you're, they're going, okay, what was useful or valuable about this? What am I taking away? And they're forced to articulate their learning themselves. And that's the aha moment. That's the new neural pathway that's being formed and created. And what's great is I don't even know what that is. Neither do you. We're not saying, that, hey, hey, Simone, who's listening to this podcast, you know, let me tell you what was most useful for you so far. What you're doing is you're provoking that moment for them to have the aha moment, the learning moment. So, again, you can finish this up, casual conversation, more formal conversations, on the phone, by email, in person, whatever works for you. But it's a way of going, uh, you know, you just have a conversation with a customer or a vendor. Uh, at the end of it, go, let me just, out of curiosity, let me just ask, what was most useful or most valuable for you here? Um, you're going to get some interesting feedback. Very cool. Love that. So just to recap the, the first question, which is uh, the kickstart question, that, that question is, what's on your mind? Gets people into conversation that truly matters. And then the final question is the learning question. And essentially, we're asking people not to just 
start telling. Instead, give them a moment to reflect. So, what, you know, what what was mo- most useful for you as, as part of this conversation? Um, yeah, just exactly. to re- just to reinforce uh, reinforce what, what truly was in, was important. Um, I mean, I mean, Roger. I mean, I'll tell people one of the core principles behind this book and behind the program is we teach and run a this concept that you should be lazy <laughs> and of course people react to that going you know i'm a good person i work hard i'm not really into this whole laziness thing but um by lazy what you're really saying is you're willing to not meddle in the content because it's not your content it's the other person's content but you are willing to hold the space and be curious and ask the questions and you'll find that they do the work and they actually find the the conversation more valuable as a result. Well, I found this conversation very, very valuable, Michael. There's another (laughs) bad segue. Um, Where can, where can everybody find the book? Yeah. Thank you for for asking. So it's on Amazon and in bookstores, of course, but it's killing it on Amazon. It is killing it on Amazon. It's been, the number, it's been the number one coaching book since it launched, and that was like nine or ten weeks ago. So I've been pretty excited about that, and we have a hundred and I think one hundred and thirty-five star reviews there. So I'm pretty thrilled about that. Um, but let me encourage people to go to thecoachinghabit.com. So just the name of the book is a URL, thecoachinghabit.com, because not only is there kind of lots of you know encouragement to buy the book in different places you can go, including an audio book. But there's uh, also some a, a ton of free resources, videos you can watch, reports you can download, uh, freebies you can get. We've got this special that if you buy a copy of the book, uh, just email us. We'll send you some cool little posters with the seven essential questions on them. So it's a ton of good stuff there, thecoachinghabit.com. Awesome. Um, and before we go, I always like to ask the question, uh, Michael, what is the sort of legacy you want to leave in the world? Uh, that's another big juicy question. Um, so I'll tell you my personal mission. Uh, you know, this came before Mankind Project, but MKP helped kind of commit to that. And it's this, it's to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. And you can see in there is this whole notion of how do I create stuff that other people can take and use and just do become more courageous about making those choices. You know, legacy in terms of stuff, uh, it's, it's so elusive, you know, you know, whole kingdoms, you know, rise and fall and vanish never to be seen again. Um, but if I can just create subtle shifts of behavior that are passed on to other people, then that would be a pretty amazing legacy for me. Oh, I love that. Love that. Um, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much to our Man Talks community for listening. Guys, get out there, uh, start uh, asking more questions, less talking. Focus on uh, focus on uh, who you are, who it is that you're leading, um, Michael. We really, really appreciate all these valuable tips. Everyone, go out and pick up Michael's book, uh, The Coaching Habit. Thank you once again for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring man. Yeah.